I may brush your Bible this morning. Hallelujah. I got a message. It's, it's amazing. We've had an amazing week here. Um, it was Tuesday. Uh, we came in and a couple of, two, well, I guess I should back up a little bit. It's been about, um, I'm trying to think about two weeks ago, about two, three weeks ago. Came in on a Tuesday night, we're praying, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me uh, about going into a season of spiritual warfare. I'm familiar with that. I know we're, we're doing that. And then um, uh, uh, to begin, the, and believe it or not, we started in the prayer and in spiritual war. I can't get, I don't have time to get into the details this morning. I'm going to share some of this stuff about God's removing some limitations. And uh, it, it's been amazing because each, each prayer meeting, has been that, and it's uh, we're people are getting set free. That's the best way I can put it. Um, we are in a time of revival. Amen. I'm excited this morning because this is also water baptism. Why I'm excited about it is the fact is this new uh, um, revival that we're seeing. Uh, of course, revival isn't new. I mean, but this this new generation, this new of revival that we're seeing across this going across the country, it seems to be on water baptism. People are asking the uh, friends of ours, a church up in uh, uh, up in Panama City. Uh, they run two services on Sunday morning. They had a water baptism of a bunch of people uh, uh, in the middle between the two services. It's like everybody I talked to, yeah, we're having water baptisms, and people are just so. This is the thing God's doing. Uh, when I came into the kingdom, it was during the uh, revival. How many remember the charismatic movement, yeah. word of faith movement, prophetic movement? Well, that's 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 my generation. And back then, everybody was getting filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, yes. including some Pentecostals. Yes. <laughs> they thought they believed in it, but I mean, <laughs> and we're getting filled with the Spirit. Yes. This revival, it's like we're getting water baptism. I think it's great. I mean, we, we, we love it. What happens in water baptism? It is the identification of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that uh, Paul says in Romans 6. And that's exactly what it is. We're identifying with with Christ, and I think it's great. So pray to bless all the ones that are getting baptized this morning. Uh, that'll be done off camera, by the way. But we'll uh, we'll be posting, get some pictures and stuff like this. But anyway, it'll be it's going to be a great uh, uh, session. So let me get to my message, so I can give you part of my message before I run completely out of time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was like I said, I was talking to the Lord this week, and I noticed something in the scriptures, and it just kind of stood out. Tuesday night. I begin to declare it, and be, in our in our time of prayer, there's also a time of, of decrees, declarations, and, and, and speaking forth. What I did, I spoke it forth, and I, I said this: I said limitations are being removed, uh, and, and we're speaking it right now. The limitations that are placed on the church are being removed. There's things that are being removed with limitations. So now, I thinking about that, I went back through the Word, and. So my title of my message this morning is Blessings That Exceed Limitations. Uh, um, how, many, how many feel that it, even if you've served the Lord for a while, it seems like well, you, get to go do, you get so far and then kind of, you know, that it stops. And it's either, well, I guess I reached my limit or whatever it was, you know. Uh, uh, but that's, that's not true at all. Basically, what I'm, sh- I'm seeing what God is, is, is doing Close. Uh, so I'm going to use a couple of different scriptures this morning, but how many remember the book of Nehemiah? I'm going to mention it this morning. I don't know if I'm going to get to it because I found seven different uh, things in the book of Nehemiah that the devil uses to step in and try to and try to pull things apart. I'm going to 
try to mention that, but uh, from Nehemiah chapter 4 to Nehemiah chapter 6 is what I'm talking about. We're not going to get all that territory this morning for sake of time, but I'm going to mention the things because what happens is Jesus has removed the limitations. Basically, he's removed limitations off us. A few weeks ago, I said another thing that <laughs> came to me was the fact is uh, God, I, was, I was in prayer and God's saying, he says, you're coming from the wrong perspective. And I says, what do you mean, Lord? He says, you're coming from the perspective that you're having to win something. And that's what he said. He says, you're in a battle. How many, is it, how many in here this morning are in a battle of some sort? Well, raise your hand if you are so you make me feel better. Thank you. It's not just me. Okay, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, okay. But he says, he says, you're coming at the thing from a wrong perspective. He says, change your perspective. And I, I said, how so? He says, you're not coming at this situation or any other situation from a perspective of you have to win something. You're coming at this per, from a perspective of victory you've already won. You're waiting, you're, you're waiting to, to see the manifestation, but you've already won. I said, how so, Lord? How, how, how is it that I already, already have won? He said, because basically I've won all the battles. If you're in me, you're coming from a, 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 a position of victory. And that's absolutely true. So basically, we are uh, to respond. Uh, I put this in my notes this morning. We are to respond to every challenge from a position of victory and the victory of Christ that he has already won the battle. Stop coming up begging. God didn't raise beggars. We're not sitting there begging for something. No, no. We are enforcing the victories that Christ has already won for us, and we're the enforcement team here on the planet. I don't know why this is. Psalms 115.3 says, He's God, He can do what He pleases. <laughs> That's what it says, okay? But He pleases to work with us in the co-labor through us. Always remember that. It, religion might have taught you like it did me, that you sit back and, well, let go, let God, let, maybe God will do this. Well, you know, nobody knows what God's going to do. And this was the bull roar we were given. But if you look through the Scriptures, it's consistent with what Jesus preached and what he was showing his disciples. I'll be with you over, always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What did, what did God tell Joshua? Fear not. How many times? Fear not. I'll be with you. Fear not. I'll be with you. Fear not. In other words, I desire to co-labor with you so the victories that you're going to receive are not just your victories. They're victories for me. Now here's the thing. When we treat God like a storefront Santa Claus often, and wanting this, oh, I need this God, I need this God, I need this God, I need this God, and, and you got this laundry list of stuff God has to do for you, you dismiss yourself from the true fight that he wants you involved in. Can I say that? Praise the Lord. And where he has removed the limitations. So to get in on this limit, uh, free uh, uh, situation that we're in, we have to totally do it his way. Amen. There is no other way. There is no your way, my way. It is God's way, period. Amen? So anxiety and stress. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning because that seems to be at the root of, of, of a lot of problems. But anxiety and stress is used by the enemy to keep us in survival mode, to keep our attention away from the victory of Christ. If, uh, I'll get to it this morning, hopefully. Uh, but fear... Okay, the Bible says, Proverbs, it says when a person is in fear, 
Every evil doing follows it. Every evil doing. Fear is a stronghold that needs to be broken off of us. And basically, the only way you get out of fear is not to try to think of something else. The way we get out of fear is to, for, through repentance. Amen. To repent from it, to turn another direction. Amen. Fear is broken by repentance. Are you here? Okay, well, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm just getting warmed up. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. Here's one, another problem that God brought to my attention. We have a tendency to examine what is possible, because I'm going to talk about things this morning that don't seem, don't seem to be possible. We have a tendency to examine what is possible based on past failures. In other words, if you had a past failure, well, I guess I just cannot do that. I mean, this is, it never worked out for me. I mean, I tried that before and it never worked. And I tried this before. Oh, yeah, I did that before and it never worked. Well, here, I'm 71 years old. Tell me what you've done before. It hasn't worked. And I'll show you what I've done before. It hasn't worked. It's working now. <laughs> Are you here? Yes. Amen. So God erases your past. So if you're going to live in the past and say, well, this is what I, or, or worse than that. I've seen other people go through this. So what? That's not you. So what? How do you know how God's dealing with another person? We're not that smart. Praise the Lord. Amen? <laughs> All right. So it says, but dealing with Pastor, one we should be examining, this is what we should be doing, we're examining what is possible by what God has said, taking into consideration God's ability to reach into the future, pull out what's needed for us today to succeed in, in his purpose and plan. All right, we okay this morning? All right, I'm getting a little wordy, but it goes with the territory, I guess. Praise the Lord. I heard one preacher say this one time. I jotted it down because I thought it was good. It says, keep your list of blessings stronger than your list of needs. Complaining empowers the inferior to undermine your faith. All right, so what do we attack so far? <laughs> Everything we want to hang on to. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Amen. Uh, uh, let, me, let me go. I want to, I'm just deciding. Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. For 35 through 40, I'll read uh, New King James. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he, talking about Jesus, said to them, Let's cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, that's the one that you just got feeding the, done feeding the 5,000, he took them along in the, in the boat, and he. Uh, as he was, and the other little boats also with him. So there's more than one boat here. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat unto the boat, so that it was already filling. Verse 38, but when he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we perish? How many would agree that's a prayer? Yeah. We're going to God, it's a prayer. Do you not care that we perish? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and, the, and winds, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the winds ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? That was Jesus' question to his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but when was the last time you stood up in a boat and said, Peace, be still, and the ocean calmed down? I mean, I, I shouted and hollered at a lot of hurricanes. I've been through a lot of them here in Key West, and I'd stand outside in my yard and just shout at that thing in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and uh, 
uh, I begin one, one hurricane, I'm praying and interceding for all the church. The winds didn't stop, by the way. There was no peace, be still. <laughs> but, but God did answer my prayer. No life was lost and there was no one hurt. And the property damage was, to, was, was, was almost non-existent here in the church. I said, here in the church. Okay, so, so I mean, and I've been through nine of these things. So it's for, you know, I've been on the island for 33 years. So we, we know what we're talking about when it comes to winds and storms. Here's what happened. Jesus gave a command. This is what he wanted done. Can I, can I just attack this for a minute? He's not out there like, oh, well, whatever happens, whatever God wants to do, we're just hanging on to this life until Jesus comes and gets us or we die and go to heaven. Forget that scenario. It isn't biblical. It might float, fly by for people who don't want to do anything in the kingdom, but it doesn't fly for Christ. It, do, it doesn't fly for him. Jesus had a destination. He told his disciples, get in a boat, go over to the other side. There was a place we're supposed to go to. Was that or was not that God's command? Was that or was that not God's will? So the will was not to sink. The will was go to the other side. You all heard that before, right? So guess what? There's a limitation that came to this thing, a physical limitation in the physical uh, realm that, that, that they lived in. And that physical limitation was a storm. These are small boats. They're wooden boats made out of scrap lumber. <laughs> I saw one in Israel. They, they have one uh, that they found, actually found in the Sea of Galilee. They dug it up. They called it the Jesus boat. And you can go into it. It's in a museum. And they put, you know, it was almost all intact. And you can see that there's different planks from different kinds of woods. Wood was scarce back in, in, in those days, and it was carbon tested to around Jesus' time, around 2,000 years. It, but it, but it, it, they used scrap. If you had an old chair or table, you didn't throw it out. It became part of your boat. Yep. <laughs> it could if you're a fisherman. It could be part of, or part of somebody else's boat. You know, the, the Lumber was precious. Uh, it came from the cedars of Lebanon, different things like that. I mean, you, you had to really import lumber. So, so this was it. So, there, but there was a physical hindrance. There was a physical affliction that came. That, that affliction that came on is called this storm, and it was about to sink our livelihood. Understand something, Peter? It wasn't just sinking a boat. They didn't have pumps back in those days where they and 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 scuba divers like myself that could get a couple of lift bags. Hey, we'll put that puppy right back on the surface for you. No problem. They didn't have all that. If they if the boat sunk, tore up, busted up. It was their livelihood. They had nothing to fish with. So they're using, their trans they're using their fishing boat for transportation to transport the Lord to his destination. God's destination said, we're going over to the other side. Amen. He said, we're going over to the other side if the storm lets us. We're going over to the other side, period. Amen. That's it. Right there, period. Quotation marks. About, let's, go, let's cross over to the other side, period. He didn't say if when or whatever. So what happened was that was the, the destination with no limitation. Jesus spoke with no limitation whatsoever. And when we get to the other side, guess what? Wherever Jesus went, there was a blessing for somebody else. There's people on that other side that deserve the blessing of the Lord, and we're going to go for it. We're going to go over, and we're bringing this blessing. Hallelujah. 
Now the storm comes up. You can say the devil, you can say whatever you want. You can say the fact is, is there was a natural happenstance. They happen all the time on the Sea of Galilee, but a storm came up and the winds blow. So you can say it was natural, or you can say the devil uh, did it. You can say whatever you want. The fact is, there was a limiting factor that was in place without God's will. There's a limiting factor that was in there. Well, I've heard some people say, well, you know, sometimes God, you know, uh, does this and sometimes he does that. Nobody knows what God's going to do. Well, read the rest of that verse that you want to quote. It says, but he reveals his will to his church. <laughs> All right, but the fact is, so this this is where we go with this thing. Nobody knows how. To, well, I guess I guess we just have to cut our losses and just go swim back to shore, and 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 we'll just have to go another day. Jesus didn't say another day. He didn't say swim back to shore. He didn't say go backwards. He said no. We're crossing over the other side, and this is it. This is it. This is the day. A limitation came up. This thing is limiting us. Jesus gets up. His word went from him and removed the limitation. That's all he did. He did not row for them. He did not pump out the boat. He did not, he did not scrub the deck. He did not pat them on the head, say, well, nice try, guys. Try better next time. No, he didn't at all. He rebuked the storm. The limitation that was stopping him from doing the will of God was gone. Then he talked to you, where was your faith? Where was your faith in the word? Now, he didn't say you were, supposed, you were supposed to get up. I expect you to get up on a boat and just calm the sea like I did. This is what we think. But why are you murmuring like you're going to die when I told you to do something? Are you here? No, no, you, you are not going to die. You should have laid in. You, where's your faith on getting over there any way we can? Is the storm really a factor? The storm's only a factor if you see it as a factor. Now, wait a minute. Jesus got up. Let's, let's go. He said, peace be still. There's no word of anybody pumping out the boat. But yet the boat was supposed to have taken so much water that it was sinking. But nobody says, okay, well, I guess now we can pump out the boat and keep on going. No. I guess that was taken care of too. Or was it the fact is, in the midst of a tragedy, fear takes over and we begin to imagine things happening before they happen. So instead of prophesying the word of the Lord, things, good things, we start prophesying for evil. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> There's a perception that comes when we see what Jesus sees in every situation. There had to be a change of perception. Now, granted, he gets up, he calms the storm. Who's going to say now, well, that storm could kick up again? Well, you know, it's still a long ways over there. Isn't it amazing that the storm didn't start before they left? That's not the amazing part. The most amazing part of this story for me to believe, is Jesus was still asleep. How can anybody sleep through a storm? I, I've been through about nine hurricanes, I think, you know, trouble storms, hurricanes, near misses, or whatever you want to call them. I haven't slept through any of them. <laughs> Matter of fact, even when, you know, my house is a good concrete house, I don't know, I'll hear, even hear the wind howl. I got hurricane windows and everything. Still have a hard time sleeping. <laughs> Amen? Anybody with me? Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. What happened right before that is significant because basically Jesus sat down. He was preaching, and it was a crowd, a great crowd of 5,000 that gathered. So let me put it back in perspective. This is what happened before this event with the, with the boat. And what, so what happens was he said, okay, we're preaching here. Uh, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and these people are hungry. He turns to his disciples. You got this? Jesus turns to his disciples and says, feed them. So what do they do? Next thing they do, let's check the fridge. Let's check whatever we got with us. Somebody, somebody brought a cooler. Anybody bring a cooler? Uh, where's the food? We got, so let's check for food. They steal, hijacked, heisted <laughs> a little boy's lunch, <laughs> which we're talking loaves and fishes here. And he looks at the loaves and fishes, and the loaves and the fishes seems to be a limitation compared to the number of people needing to be fed. Now, they said, the Bible says 5,000 men. They only counted the men. If you put the women and children, we could be as much as 10, 15,000 people at the gathering there. They got five loaves and two fishies. <laughs> We're looking at here. We're going to feed them. Why? Because our natural mind has just put a limitation, or should we say the circumstances put a limitation on what we can supply compared to what God said to do. How many are in a position of what God asks us to do doesn't seem to be within our realm of supply? Well, get over it because your realm of supply would be you doing it, not him. He doesn't need your realm of supply. He doesn't even need your fishes and loaves. But let's start with that. Jesus took that which they had and multiplied it. Did Jesus multiply it? Not at all. Are you ready for the big revelation on this scripture? Read the scripture. He took the loaves and fishes. He held them up. Father, thank you for this offering. He turned the same loaves and fishes and gave it to the disciples. Now, who did the miracle? <laughs> Not Jesus. Jesus prayed over the offering and basically removed the limitations that they saw. They begin to pass it out. Okay, it must be good now because he prayed for it. I'm passing. It's got to be good because Jesus wouldn't let us down. I mean, he told us to pass it out, and we're following the word of God. How many fishes and loaves were you handed? Five loaves, two fishes. How many you got in your hands? Five loaves, two fishes. How many you passing out? Whatever Jesus said is what we're passing out. We're just passing out, okay? So here's five people or seven people to each get a fish. How do they want to count it up? All of a sudden, they look in the basket. There's five more, and there's some more, and there's some more, and there's some more. And they kept passing out until after they got done. Everybody had all the satisfaction of eating. They had what they had left over, well, 12 baskets, one for each disciple, which lasted another three days, and Jesus does it all over again for 4,000 people. That's the groundwork laid before they got into the boat and went across this storm. What is the problem here? Basically, Jesus is showing them, so now he's turned and says, what about the loaves and fishes? What about this? I mean, come on, guys, where's your faith and your trust? Well, I don't know. We've seen these storms before, and we know such and such, and his boat sank because of this thing. And we war within our minds, don't we, of all these other things when we war within our minds. The fact is, God still said, whether you like it or not, Jesus is here today, and Jesus is he heals today. 
You can say that. You can believe that. If another person on this planet doesn't get healed, I'm going to tell you Jesus still heals today because we can't prove or disprove the very word of God. Of course, we do. I've heard people say, well, I don't believe in healing. I said, okay, shows. But what if I told you that I've been on five different continents in African nations, Central America, South America, all the places I've been, and I've seen miracles. I'll stack my miracles in which I've seen up against your lack any day. But if you're bent on saying Jesus doesn't heal today, I doubt if you're going to be visited by any. Praise the Lord. Pass the ammunition. Hallelujah. Amen? (laughs) So... Jesus took that which was given to him in the loaves and fishes, and he did the impossible, therefore, removing the limitations on what was commonly believed. Jesus removed the limitations on what was commonly believed. Can I help you this morning is let's stretch our faith out to things that weren't common. Well, I've been doing this for years, so what's your years compared to God's eternity? Amen? Or my years, for that matter. Praise the Lord, we all got years. Hallelujah. Amen. God is wanting, I put this in my notes so I wouldn't forget to say this. i got to make this statement. God is wanting to exceed or move beyond our limitations. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Can, can I challenge you a little bit this morning? Do you love me as a pastor? Yes. Y'all love me, right? Okay. You say, we love you, Pastor. We love you. <laughs> you know it's going to be... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll always give you a scripture. Six, Luke 6, verse 38. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, don't cry. It's not that bad. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. It says this. It says, it says, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, here's the word. starts out. You ready? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will they put in your bosom. A bosom, by the way, is, um, is an apron. You remember that? Put an apron. It's a big pocket. So put, they'll put it in your pocket. I'll put it in nowadays terms, but that's what a bosom is, a pocket. It says, uh, it says for with this, listen to this, with the same measure that you used, it will be measured back to you. Now, how many have heard this verse, this scripture, referring to money? Now, do you believe in reading scripture out of context, right? Or in context and not out of context. Do you know the verse before that, there's no money mentioned? There's no money mentioned in this, in this scripture whatsoever. <laughs> you sure you want to hear the rest of this? <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? There's no money mentioned. The scripture before that, in verse 37, talks about judge, that you not be judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. That's what it says before that. Then he goes in and says, give and it shall be given unto you. Amen. Uh, given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So the effort that you put forth comes back a greater effort than you gave. This is the rule of the kingdom. But there's no mention of money. Can it include money? Absolutely. But that's not the the bent here. He's talking about giving of ourselves in giving this thing. 
Because the only thing that values to the Lord is not how much money we give him, but us. Jesus didn't die so we can give him money. He died so we can, he can have us. Yes. And Jesus is saying this. So he's saying, so right here, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, in good measure, it will be measured back to you again. So God wants to take, not only remove the limits off your giving, he wants to expand that giving. But come on, you know as well as I do, you've been around, around, around the block a few times, you can say this, how many have ever heard a person say, oh, I don't know, that church, we're a church over there, man, they're going, they're going to church like four or five times a week. You know, I'm not going to church no four times. I go once on Sunday, maybe once a month. <laughs> and their life shows it. Because this scripture still applies. It's not how many times, by the way, God's not counting many, many times. He's counting the hearts in what we have that's ours that we can give him for his cause, not ours. Now what happens when we give for our cause God supernaturally puts back into our cause all the things that he wants. But he says, give first. That word given in the Greek, by the way, is this is what it means in the Greek. Give. <laughs> uh, I could be a little more elaborate. The Thayer's uh, 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 Greek dictionary says it this way. It says, it says, of one's own accord to give uh, one something to his advantage. In other words, to give away something that's of somebody else's advantage, to, to give them advantage. So to give of myself, uh, I give of myself to help somebody else. So I, it's something that I have by my own choice, give to somebody else to expand or advance them. Amen? Amen? Amen. Say it this way, well, I'm advancing people, we're advancing the kingdom. Isn't that what God wants? God didn't see us for no more. He didn't put a limitation on anything, did he? We put the limitations on. It's the ministers in our country that count heads and somehow develop their own personal pride from how many heads they can count. Really? I'll invite them to Key West. <laughs> Hallelujah, I've been here 33 years. How am I talking about just my church? I was for, for a number of those years, I was in, in the South Florida uh, um, Pastors Association, so, uh, Lower Keys Pastor Association, excuse me, Lower Keys. So I knew all. They all had the same complaint. If I go to Jacksonville, I can have a bigger church. If I go over here, I can have a bigger church. Well, fine, go with you where you want to, whatever the Lord tells you. But what happens if the Lord says, stand? And when you've done all the stand, stand there for your loins girt about with truth. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen? Because giving, when the Lord comes back with the return on our giving, it's always bigger than what we can count. Amen. Are you here? Yes, sir. Amen. But he always puts it in our heavenly account. I don't have time to get into that, but I'll just give it. Praise the Lord. So what was the thing we look at? In looking at the limitations, you know, I, I got time. In looking at the limitations, I want to look at what the devil's doing. Now here's what I do not do. I don't look at what the devil's doing to see what God's going to do. I, I don't study the work of the devil. Uh, uh, that's nauseating. Matter of fact, I've been in churches overseas that are more afraid of the devil than they are the righteousness of God. 
They really are. And I said, what on earth are you fearful for? Matter of fact, this happened oh, about 100 years ago, I guess, when I was younger. Uh, <laughs> but I was in Ghana, West Africa, and I was actually threatened uh, uh, with, a, with the presence of a witch doctor. And I went to, didn't take much prayer. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I said, I'm here on your, on your ticket. What do you want me to do? We were laying hands and healing people. We were making, we were, we were, things were happening. God was doing miracles. And he says, call them out. I told the four um, bodyguards that I had, whatever you call them, <laughs> they were translators and stuff, the guys that helped me out. I says, I says uh, can you get a message back to this guy? And they said, yeah, we can. And I says, good, tell him I'm, I'm excited about meeting him. I said, I want to see him face to face in my meeting. And then all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> God, what did you get me into? <laughs> Never showed. From then on, I walked away with that experience. I said, the devil is nothing but a wimp and a liar. Let me show you something else about the devil. But Paul said this way in 2 Corinthians 2.11, least Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. Can I put that right out there? Praise the Lord. Huh? Can I do that? I want to share something with you before I get run out of time. I don't know if I'm going to get into Nehemiah, but let me, let me share this with you. This is an important part of, of this message. You've got to know this. This is information you're going to take home with you, and this is information I want you to keep. This is information that's going to give you victory. You want it? Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 4. One verse, one simple verse, Luke chapter 4. Now, let me give you the background of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, like Matthew 4, talking about Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness. You remember that? Okay, how many times was Jesus tempted? No, how many, in, that one, in that one setting there. How many times was it said? Three. Okay, I want you to hold on to that fact because there's a key here. In, in Luke chapter 13, the King James Version says it this way, And when the devil had ended all his temptations, he departed from him for a season. Luke's the only one that brings this out, so I'm using Luke. New King James says it this way, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until, the oppor- until an opportune time. Here's the Amplified Bible because it's louder. Praise the Lord. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil was finished, every, had finished every temptation, he temporarily left him until, until a more uh, opportune time. So in all three scriptures, we have the devil leaving for a more opportune time. The, the Lord puts it right out there in the word for us. Why did he leave Jesus' presence? He ran out of strength. He ran out of strength. Three questions, Jesus, three refusals, and he's done. Doesn't mean he didn't come back. But that encounter with Christ showed us something about the enemy. However, can I say this and suggest this more and suggest it this morning? Can I prove it this morning in the Bible? The fact is that God has given you the Holy Spirit, which there is no end to your strength unless you give it up. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying I know now what Paul and Silas knew in that prison. I know what Paul knows when he was shipwrecked. I know this now. Paul saw this too. 
hey, we just endure this one little thing. Guess what? Devil's going to run out of strength. I'm going to still get to do the assignment God has given me. Ah, this is just a little hiccup. The devil will get tired. Just watch three times. We'll use three scriptures and run him off. Because he can't, he doesn't have the energy to complete. How come in 2,000 years he hasn't been able to silence the message of the church? Because God keeps pouring in wisdom, information, revelation, and the devil don't know what to do with it. So he goes out from the outside of the church a lot of times and uses it to slander. To keep other people from coming in the church. The only threat to the devil is you get hooked up with church, come in agreement with some other believers, and you see things that have been changed in your life. That's a big, huge threat to that devil. So what does he have to do? He has to separate it. Hey, let's come up with a pandemic so the whole country is locked down and they can't go to church. It's, a, it's not God doing it. Are you here? What did Paul say in Hebrews 10? He said, forsake not. Now, he wasn't just talking about church attendance. Can I get that out of the way? Because he didn't say gathering. He said assembly. A big difference. An assembly has a purpose. You see, we come to church this morning. It's not just to listen to a preacher or to get some people wet. Are you here? (laughs) Uh, That's not the purpose. The purpose is right here, we can come in agreement. There is power enough in this place right now to change a city. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. One will put a thousand in flight, the Bible says, Old Testament too. One will put a thousand in flight, two will put ten thousand in flight. You like God's math? So it isn't about numbers and counting heads and so on and so forth. No, it's not about that at all. It's about the strength that we have that we can pass off because this Holy Spirit that dwells within us and the anointing of us gets on other people. Amen. Ah, so does the fear and apprehension and the doubt that's in the world get on other people. So he's, Paul's saying, man, whatever you do, get together, man, assemble. He didn't say gather, he said assemble. Why? Assemble has a purpose. And it has a purpose not unto itself. See, this morning, it's, it's important what you get out of the service this morning, but what's more important is what somebody gets out of the service through you. Amen. That's what's more important, because now we're multiplying. Yes. <laughs> Help anybody this morning? All right, I balanced out the other comment, huh? So when we hold back, we actually limit the Holy One of Israel by disbelief and by unbelief. So whenever we say, well, I'm not doing that, I'm not going to do this, why? I got got to do this, uh, this is too much. Then what happens is that we keep pushing everything more important than God or more important than coming together. This is what Paul was saying. Evidently he had the same problem in his time because he's saying, don't forsake it. See, a forsaking is a will of man, not God. Don't use your will to stop that. When he said that, you look at the time period in history, when he said that, you could be murdered for going to church. There could be somebody could kill you for going to church, stone you to death for going to church. He was New Testament church. (laughs) He wasn't from the other bunch. Remember Stephen? He did get stoned. You remember who held his coat? The guy who's preaching us right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, he said, no, don't forsake these. Something together yourselves. Oh, yeah, but he want, when, they, when it was old Saul, he wants you to forsake everything that God was doing. 
But the new Saul, uh-uh. We see the revelation. I've seen the light. I've seen Christ. No, no, no. We got something here. This is something that's important. If we can get together, we can change a community. If we get together, we can bring the message out. Well, that's a great commission, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Amen. I preach myself happy. <laughs> he also says that Paul also says this in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. He says, but I'm afraid, and he looks at this thing, he says, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve and his, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray by the simplicity and the purity. Listen to the words. Simplicity and the purity of the devotion of Christ. Don't let your mind get polluted. Amen? How does your mind get polluted? Well, what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. He said this in Mark chapter 8. He said, take heed, be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus mentioned those two particularly. What is leaven? Well, beside the yeast, you stick in the bread, it makes the bread rise that we don't have matzah because matzah is flat, doesn't have no yeast, yeast is a sin, but anyway. Uh, but <laughs> I think I said all that right. But, uh, but the fact is, no, what is leaven? Leaven is a mindset. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a figure of thinking. It's a, it's a way of thinking. He said, don't think like the Pharisees and don't think like Herod. Well, what's the difference between those two? There's a third one I'll mention in a minute. But, the, but he said, don't get the thinking of the Pharisees. That's religious thinking. That means I'm righteous by my good deeds and what I can do. We don't go to church to become righteous. We go to church to help other people become righteous. We embrace church so we can help somebody else. And you know, even your presence as you walk through the door. What could be more important this morning? And all the things we all could do something. I like scuba diving. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm... Uh, I, I could see a retirement in the future. Nah, I can't really. But anyway, uh, you know, what could be more important than to come together? If we truly gather the way the Bible says to, the way Jesus wants us to, we would be an encouragement one to another. That encouragement is putting courage on. Why would you need to be encouraged? Because there's a discouragement to take it away. So the devil wants to discourage, God wants to encourage. How does he do that? Does God come down himself and show himself? No, well, unless you're like Paul. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, no. Do you know? Right here. Doesn't even do it to the preacher. You know what my one job is in the Bible? My one job. Perfect the saints to work in the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. I'm apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm one of those. And it's for the perfecting of the saints. That's mean maturing for the work of the ministry. The rest of the ministry is you. Have at it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, this is, this is important. And what happens when we go back to Jesus' definition of give, you're given this morning. I'm not talking about the offering. You came in with your smiling face, encouraging somebody. You'll sit around and watch a baptism in just a minute. And you, you encourage somebody. And that smiling face is, man, oh, I feel so good to be in here. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you just remove the discouragement off that person. And they're being encouraged as you're sitting here listening to my message this morning. And getting blessed with that. You're giving of yourself, which is more important than what you've given the offering. Amen? I've had people offer me stuff in Key West, not lately, uh, years ago, uh, to try to buy me. I turn them all down. You can't buy what I have. You understand? You don't have enough money to buy what I have. And I certainly don't jump through any of your religious hoops. 
I said, you hire me as a pastor, you ain't going to like me the first Sunday. You'll want your money back. <laughs> it was Karen for a little bit there. It was cut, but anyway, uh, I got over it. I'm good now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Help anybody this morning? Yes. Here's the bottom line. Oh, the third, the third leaven I was going to tell you about, they mentioned this is the leaven of the kingdom. Now, that's a good one. You can have that one. Praise the Lord. But um, my closing statement really is, um, the devil really doesn't mind you operating in ministry as long as you do it in fear. Uh, because it, undermine, it undermines the ongoing everlasting transformation. What I'm all talking about this morning, why it's important to see God remove the limitations is because in that process is transformation. When we bring people and we water baptize them, right here, this is the baptistry here, and we dunk them and immerse them, then when they come up out of the water, that is their given opportunity, biblical opportunity, to begin the transformation process. I don't care if you've been baptized once or 150 times. My job is not to count. My job is to dunk and hold under all those sinners who, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding now. <laughs> but, 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 but the... But, the, but the, the, God, the job from that part is the identification of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as we come up a new creature. It's your part, whoever gets baptized, to walk in the newness of life. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Get anything out of the message this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. I, I, didn't get, I know I get, didn't get into Nehemiah. Uh, I like Nehemiah, but there's about... It gets, I did a whole message one time. I found seven different things. I can give you the seven. Uh, you can study at home uh, from Nehemiah 4 to 6, chapter 4 chapter, through chapter 6. But Nehemiah was ridiculed. Number two, he was threat of attack. Uh, he was discour uh, a discouragement tried to come upon him. See if these line up with anything you're going through. Uh, number four, extortion. Oh, yeah. Back then, they were holding kids their children in slavery because they didn't have the money to pay their debts, so they were taking their kids from the workers who were working at the, on the wall. Can you imagine that? I'm doing a work for the Lord, but we're going to take your family and hold it captive. They become our slaves until you pay your debt. I can't pay my debt because I'm working on the wall. Okay? This, this is how the enemy works. Praise the Lord. Extortion. i got news for you. Jesus, freedom. Amen? Uh, Number five is compromise. Hmm, we see that today. Praise the Lord. And I like Nehemiah's response in this in 6.3. Nehemiah 6.3 says, why should, I, why should I cease the work while I leave and go down to you? I like to, I like to say the Kevin Kerr version of the Bible in this particular verse. Why would I leave an important thing like the work of the Lord to mess around with you knuckleheads? You idiots. <laughs> You're stupid to even suggest it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. And the next one will be slander number six, and number seven is treachery. And uh, in other words, let's hide out into the temple because was, they actually hired prophets to prophesy falsely. But Nehemiah got the word from the Lord to say, no, no I'm, I'm not buying this. I'm staying to, sticking to the work. They tried 70 years 
to do this work, to complete this work. Seventy years and never got it done. Nehemiah, by the way, the word Nehemiah means comforter. The comforter came and did it in 52 days. <laughs> Seventy years, the entire generation. I'm out of time. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet and give God glory. Amen.